Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Truth and Movies, this time it's war. Today we look through Aliens Darkly with Alien Covenant, the latest tale of colonists getting their colons colonised. It's Ridley Scott, but is it Ridley good? Also, The Leveling, Hope Dixon Leach's extraordinary debut film about what happens when a young man inherits the farm and then buys it. Plus, Film Club, Aliens 3 Controversy Ahoy, and a brand new cast member. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again on this third edition of Truth and Movies. David Jenkins returns. Hi there. Uh, but we have a new cast member, as I was mentioning. Uh, you are? Sophie Muntz-Kaufman. Great. And, and, and who are you, Sophie? Well, I am the contributing editor of Little White Lies and also a filmmaker. Are you? Yeah. Blimey. Bit of perspective on things, then. We've got some interesting films to talk about. Let me just uh, uh, deal with the contents of our bulging post bag. First of all, remember, we, we do invite you to get in touch. Truth and Movies, all one word, at TCO London, all one word, dot com is the email address, or quite simply, at LW Lies on Twitter. Paul Plant says, listening to the first LW Lies podcast, two lads you're with sound right miserable sods, David. It's a bit harsh. It's fine. I'm You're not a miserable that. sod no, at all. I'm happy. That's my brand. But if you had to, to pick an uh, an adjective to describe uh, David with, Sophie, what would it be? Pernickety. Pernickety. I think yeah, those two traits go hand in hand. And right. I'm I'm proud of that. Okay. Uh, Pope faced Egypt was another another description. Same. same. I'm happy. You're happy yeah, with that, yeah. yeah. That's, that's so let's let's go to something a little bit more uh, a little bit more positive. Is David Barrigan loving? podcast so much better than other film podcasts based on in-jokes and superhero fanboy news. Okay. Yeah, that's well, good, isn't okay. it? Okay, I'm just trying to think of an in-joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I think we made them, he just didn't get them. Oh, right, okay. That's the thing. Robin Graham is talking about evolution of sitcoms or TV shows into movies. Uh, David, with his poe face on, suggested that there were no good ones. But Robin Graham says, hey, what about In the Loop? Which was begat by the thick of it. Well, that's a good example, isn't it? Oh yeah, no, that's that's quite a good one. I guess when I was saying that, when I made that kind of sweeping statement back then, that um, I was thinking in percentages, really. Right. Like, I, you know, in election cycles, you know, it's like if TV shows into films was a kind of political candidate, right. they, it would be a landslide it would against lose its them. deposit. Oh, big time. Right. Okay. Uh, thanks for that, Robin. And also Snowbass, who says, quite interesting review. He's very polite, Snowbass. He says, quite interesting review of the Guardians Volume 2 movie, but I feel a bit sheepish as I like the movie. 
Uh, I thought it was a large story about a movie made up of little family encounters by each character, which worked. Snowbass, you and me both. I really enjoyed. Did you see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Sophie? Uh, I did not. It's not really in my wheelhouse. Is it not? If you go along, you'll really enjoy it. Do I get my money back off you if I don't? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, now, we'll have lots more of your comments when we get on to uh, this week's film club, which was Alien 3. But that's later on, because now, this. You've all sacrificed so much to be here. To be a part of this. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission to go this far into our galaxy. I'm making history. And everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work and your courage. I just want to say I couldn't pick a better bunch of jerks to get marooned on a distant planet with. <laughs> So, um, to the Covenant! To the Covenant! Catherine Waterston, their daughter of Sam, in part of the prologue material that the studio released ahead of Alien Covenant's arrival in, in, in theatres, an interesting tactic there. Basically, Covenant is set 10 or 11 years after the events of Prometheus in the year 2104, and it follows the crew of the ship Covenant, who are headed off to a remote planet with a cargo of 2,000 colonists, but who intercept a random radio signal and get diverted to a mysterious planet, and of course that works out really well for them. Uh, It's an interesting cast, you've got Michael Fassbender, lots of him, Uh, Catherine Waterston, as I mentioned, Billy Crudup's there, Uh, Danny McBride, and a kind of big ensemble crew. It was described by Little White Lies' review is a Brock monster movie that's better than Prometheus. Sophie, what did you think? Okay, so going in, I had pretty low expectations. Um, and I think if you have low expectations, a film simply being good is quite a revelation. So uh, also I saw it in a large IMAX screen, and I think it's a film that's greatest strength is its aesthetic. It's just, uh, you know, it's like that those charcoal greys, those steel blues, caves dripping these screams echoing around caves it's very atmospheric very bleak mm. in fact i've coined a term bleak chic um because i think a lot of sci-fi films now like rogue one and even the nolan verse they've got this very dark aesthetic so it, it looks really good and just in, in narrative terms i think it takes a while to show its hand and it's just, it's very lean and mysterious and you're kind of wondering where it's going mm. Um, so it's quite it's quite compelling. So yeah, I I had fun with it. Like there's some say some great existential hammy lines. Uh, you know those great ideas about mankind. And I don't know whether it explores those ideas per se, but there are enough of them dotted across that you mm. can hook in. And um, so yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. Well, that's good with magnificently low expectations. But I must admit, I, similar. After Prometheus, given that it was the same director, Ridley Scott, he's 79 now and he's going to make two more of these. But anyway, I was I was stunned at what an entertaining film this was. And he cited the fact that his business is entertainment in various interviews that he's been doing you know, with the release of this film. But it, it was a good ride, wasn't it, David? Yeah, I thought so. I mean, yeah, I, I, and I mean to be on the kind of Prometheus downer train with right. you guys as well, I'm, I'm very much there. And like the cast, they go... they basically head to the same planet that we've seen in Prometheus. And that, for me, 
the the very fact of the of the cast being there it is that kind of like memory of the the original worst bad film um which did it make prometheus better for you watching this film uh no no i felt after watching this that it almost nullified prometheus right it kind of deals with it in the subtext and a few small lines and a few bits of exposition to the point where i thought there is no reason to see Prometheus That's to understand this mm. film and to, to enjoy this film. Because this has got bits of Prometheus and it's it's got bits of, I would say, maybe aliens as well. Doors not closing fast enough, guns being handed out, all that. But it's got massively, massively part of the original Alien from way back in 1979. It's very much back on that theme as opposed to all the kind of slightly more philosophical stuff that was going on in, uh, in in Prometheus. I think it kind of apportions it quite nicely. So you've got, like, I think you've got your kind of fun tent set up where, they're, you know, as you say, the beacon is heard. They, they're having their little conversation. Oh, shall we go and rescue them or shall we not? And you're just sort of, like, rolling your eyes going, come on, just get on with it. And then, um, and then you've got this chunk of, of acting in the middle, so you've got your sort of your fun, and then your acting, and then your fun, and it's quite a nice sort of payoff. Really, it's like I mean, it's it's not just the fun throwaway watching people getting slaughtered and in sort of interesting ways. You've actually got this sort of chunk in the middle that you mm. that sort of chin stroking critic types can look at and go, "Oh yeah, that's really good. Let's give people Oscars." Oscars? People have been saying Oscars. Have they been saying Oscars yeah, for this? For, for the Fasses. For Fassbender. Yeah. Too that's fast. nuts. I'm sorry, that's nuts. Is that, is that too too crazy? I mean, the thing is, Fassbender is that you expect such a great level of performance from him and he doesn't disappoint, but it's like, he's definitely not at peak. He's, he's he's yeah, he's having a little bit of fun with it. It's like a cheeky, I'd say it's a cheeky Fassbender right. performance. It's, it's slightly pantomime, do you think? Yes. Yeah. It's a bit Vincent Price, I thought. Right, yeah, well, there's, yeah. there's an interesting comparison. What's your favourite Fassbender performance? Shame, all the way. Steve McQueen's Shame, in which he plays a tortured sex addict, Brandon. It's amazing. It's it's actually one of my favourite films. There you go. There you go. Well, this is very, very dark. But as I say, it's very much back to being an entertainment as opposed to, say, a head-scratching head exercise in I'm going to imbue my old films with a, with meaning. With wiki so, philosophy. Yeah. I think the Alien movies, it kind of perpetuates that philosophy over all the films. This idea of, like, the alien itself being the kind of master race, unkillable ubermensch, except every time, every damn time... It's curtains for the alien. I mean, like, you know, it's like, why are you still doing this when it's clear six times over that humans is clearly superior? Even with acid blood, we've, we've just got ways around it. You know, we can deal with it. That's you know? like, if Ridley Scott really had the courage of his convictions, there'd have been no humans after Alien, and it would just be like aliens evolving. Well, exactly. I would say that plot-wise, this is actually, you know, without giving anything away, pretty bold. Two things which are producer Tom brings up is he says Prometheus was full of plot holes which is pretty mildly does this plot hold up oh yeah I think so I mean it only holds up because they have it's a kind of back to basics thing right you know they dial back the sort of philosophy and the sort of um, windbaggery should we right. say from of police Prometheus right. and, uh, yeah. and and much as the series is evolving so the xenomorphs are too what's this alien like ask producer Tom Sophie Ooh, I'm very into this alien. First of all, it moves so quick. It's like 
charging, galloping through these these lands. And I lo- one thing I love about the alien lick is this sort of spermy, amniotic postures that it bursts out of. And when I was looking at the alien, it was reminding me of Jurassic Park, just the way it would it would just be there and the person would only realise they had bad company just too late. It also kind of reminded me of uh, the Pale Man in Pan's Labyrinth. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's a very good, it's a very sleek but very gloopy uh, monster and it feels very dangerous. Like, there are some incarnations of aliens that are just very s- silly. I think we'll get into that later in the show. But this is, like, this is a sleek nasty beast. Well, do you want to give us some scores, Sophie, for your your Covenant experience? I wish I could give half points, but I can't. Go on. Okay, I can. I can. Yeah. can. Radio, radio allows that. Oh, wow. Okay, so in that case, I'm going to go to town. Uh, expectation, 1.5. Enjoyment, 3.5. In retrospect, 3. Really? What about you, Dave? Do you know what? I've got a sim- I'd go similar to that, yeah. I mean... Yes, extremely low expectation and and was pleasantly surprised and found there was a few moments where I was kind of curling toes and, you know, don't don't walk in that door kind of moment. And, and I like that. And the fast was very enjoyable. Yeah. But I'm not hankering to, to take another bite of it, you know, go back there. I mean, it's I've seen it yeah. and I had a nice time and that's that's me done. You wait till they released a special edition. Yes. Yeah. But with, with 50 extra minutes of people running around. Right. For me, I'm no film critic, obviously, but I really enjoyed it. Wasn't expecting too much, but thought for what it is, and as I say, this, there's a slight scale back of ambition for Prometheus, for what it is, I thought it was excellent. If somebody was saying, should I bother going to see Alien Covenant, what would you say? I'd say definitely go and see it. Sophie, would you agree? I'd say go and see it at the cinema. Yeah, big screen. Because it does, I mean, that's the bottom line. It looks fantastic. Bleak chic, as I like to call it. Can I just (laughs) mention one more thing that I I really liked about it, which affected my enjoyment and maybe pushed it up by that one half? It was actually Catherine Waterson's hairstyle. Oh. That looked very, um, it was a kind of in spiral carpets. Okay, baggy yeah, hairstyle, right. which I, I I was trying to understand why that decision was made, and you know there is a sort of androgynous element to it, I guess, mm. and sort of harking back to Ridley Ripley, sorry, who has her hair head shaved. And it's interesting though that the Ripley you pick up on that, and, and Ridley. There's only one consonant of difference between those two. To what extent is Ridley Scott projecting himself into the role uh, made famous by Sigourney Weaver? That'll have to be for another. Another. That's really interesting. That's going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Would it be all right if I just quickly brought us out of the rabbit hole and advanced on David Jenkins' remarks and Catherine Waterston? Because actually, I think one out of my 3.5 points is for her performance. And it's, I guess it's a fairly generic role, but she imbues it with so much feeling. There's a, uh, without saying too much about the ending, her the final shot of her... Like, it's just seared into my mind. She, she's a very interesting actress. You know, she's had these few roles. She was in Inherent Vice uh, by Paul Thomas Anderson, and then she's she's great in this two-hander uh, with Elizabeth Moss about two women kind of driving each other insane. And so she's definitely someone to watch. And it's yeah, like her presence in this film just kind of gave it a bit more humanity. What was she in? What was she was in something else recently? She was in Fantastic Beasts and where there to you find go. them. So she's yeah. kind of started off on the indie route in Inherent Vice and Queen of Earth, and now she's been bringing her indie credo to the, the Hollywood masses. Nice. Um, excellent. All right, well, next up, we're going to talk about that levelling thing.
Yes, also hitting UK cinemas this Friday, this Friday the 12th, is debut feature of filmmaker Hope Dixon Leach. Story about a trainee vet who returns to her family farm after she hears of the death of her brother. And in the week that builds up to the brother's funeral, she pieces together the events which have led to this tragic end. It's just a bloody stupid accident. So you gave the farm to Harry? You left. You told me to go. You told me to get the hell out of here. No, I didn't. I don't want this to be your fault! Not again. Get her. Get the hell out! Daddy! Performances here from Ellie Kendrick, who, who plays Mira Reed in uh, Game of Thrones. David Troughton who's the father, and Jack Holden, who's a kind of family friend, who I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, it is an amazing debut. David, what would you like to say about it? I think I'd just like to say, yeah, I concur. I think it's a, a, an amazing film, but it's it's amazing in a very kind of... in a, in a very unselfconscious way, shall mm. we say. It doesn't feel like it's a film that's trying too hard to be amazing, and it and it does very simple robust things with drama and character and acting and the sort of drip feed of information and when people realise what other people are feeling. This uh, this director, Hope right. Dixon Leach, has really, really thought hard about everything in this film, like everything she's going to show, every twist, every turn, every every sort of reaction is kind of loaded with meaning. And, and you know, it's only, a, it's barely 80 minutes which is kind of rare for cinema these days. Yeah, I days. love that about it. But, but it's, it, it was just like, this is the time that I needed to spend with this film. And, yeah. and it packed everything into into that 80, 80 minutes. And uh, yeah, I know, I really loved it. I mean, it's, you know, beyond this idea of a kind of daughter returning home to her, to her farm to sort of, I guess, deal with this turmoil and breakdown that's happening there. I think it has a sort of broader political sense to it as well in that you know it's a really great film about this chasm between the generations you know mm. you've got the young girl who's off doing her own thing has her own ideas is independent and then you've got the the father who is kind of trapped in in this kind of cycle and of, of the sort of farming industry and right. has these very and, and it felt like a very now movie about yeah. the kind of this sort of generational divide i mean someone someone described it as Manchester by the sea meets the arches. I mean, is that is that too? No, I think that's good. Yeah, that by that pitch. Yeah. yeah. Sophie, what do you think? It's just incredibly impressive. It's a slow burn, uh, like he says. You know, it's it's like not trying to dazzle you from the beginning. So it took me about twenty minutes to realise that I was invested. But from that point on, it's just it's it's working. And I think for me, great cinema is working on a level of atmosphere, in as much as it's working on a level of plot and character. Mm. And Hope Dixon Leach does this amazing thing, uh, not in an over the top way at all, but um, this landscape, this Somerset landscape. The mood uh, and what the characters are going through is one of grief and this foreboding is reflected in the skies which are just dark and the things at the farm which they're just not going right with their livestock and things are just kind of a bit off 
in a way that makes sense in the location, but it also makes sense for what the characters are going through. So not only are you reacting to events as you find out about them on a plot level, you're, you're feeling them, they're seeping into you because of the whole tone of the frame. Hmm. I was curious all the way through as to why it was called the levelling. And I'd hope there was going to be an obvious, as opposed to like some clever answer that I wouldn't quite be able to get. But then I read that it's set in the Somerset levels. Is that what that's about? I think so, yeah. Right. Case closed. Okay. I mean, it's beautifully shot, beautifully composed, and it's really compact as well, very concise. I also really like the way that it kind of nails that that English manner of not actually saying what you're feeling, which is completely crucial to the whole storyline. Absolutely. And um, another film I thought of as a reference, it's kind of like a reserved English version of Lars von Trier's Melancholia in that, you know, you're getting the character's mood through what they cannot say. And it's so, like, as well as the father-daughter relationship meaning something on a political level, it's just immensely meaningful on a personal level. Like, too often the people that we're closest to is the hardest to talk to them. And the characterization, the young girl is very sensitive, very nervous. She's a vet student. She cares about animals. You know, you can see, like, you can see all her feelings. They're sort of quivering on the surface. Her dad is more of a, like, put a brave face on make a stupid joke kind of guy. And watching as a viewer, you can see he's doing that as a way of keeping himself together. But you can also see why it's pushing her buttons. And you can see how they're just not able to comfort and console each other and that it's making going through this nightmare so much more lonely. So it's just very heart-rending, not heart-rending through music cues, heart-rending through just watching people in a naturalistic setting right. struggling to connect. Yeah, it's another film that uses silence a lot rather than, say, dramatic music to establish mood. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I sort of was watching it and it sort of builds, it has this sort of sense of tension that comes through this, this, uh, this fact that you kind of feel at any moment any of the characters could, like, kill themselves. Not, But not in a, not in a sort of, like obvious you know looking at a shotgun or Mm. you know looking at an open window or something like that there is that kind of hair trigger sense of these people are on the edge you know like and 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 it could just go it could go in a crazy direction at any at any point so like it's very compelling in that sense and it's you know it's as a way to replace all the kind of razzle dazzle it just does this very simple thing of like you know you you want to see how this turns out you know so and people should go and see how it turns out, David. Yes. Oh, I, I, I really think so. Give yeah. it a score. I, I would give it um, anticipation. I, I was like, you know, I didn't. It, it had been to the festivals, and I didn't really know that much about it. So maybe three for anticipation. Would you say? Uh, yeah, disney yeah. three. Uh, I, I would give it a, a five. For, really? For, yeah, for, five. Yeah, straight up. I just thought Boom. it was a really, like, you know, it, it, it's maybe not uh, reinventing the wheel in, in, in dramatic terms, but I think it's like, it's kind of building its own new right. platinum wheel for the cart. All right, Sophie, what numbers would you give it? Okay, so uh, I'd give it three for anticipation because uh, it's hard to get too excited about someone whose work you haven't seen before. Then four for enjoyment, and then a Kablamo five in retrospect. Oh right, because yeah. it stayed with you, percolating in your brain. Absolutely, and the finale is like just it. It sends you up like the with finale. With the spaceship. Oh you know? god, yeah, it just yeah. yeah. Where the alien comes and uh, <laughs> yeah. gets and the them in the shower. Yeah. Kills us all. And hey, what great performances, particularly from Ellie Kendrick and, and um, 
Jack Holden, who apparently is going to be alongside Paul Bettany and Toby Jones in a film adaptation of uh, Journey's End, you know, the First World War drama. Oh, wow. That, that should be good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, I thought they were incredibly naturalistic performances. No, mm. I, I, especially uh, Ellie Kendrick. In right. this, in, uh, it was an unshowy performance. Like, right. I, I, keep, I mean, I hope people don't overhear the word unshowy and find it a turn-off. Right. No, it's, you know, you know. it's definitely worth seeing. Yes, the absolutely. Um, was another unshowy production up next on Truth and Movies as this week's instalment of Film Club features Alien 3. That's after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The suspense is back. And we have no weapons of any kind. The fear is back. And most of all, the bitch is back. <laughs> Alien 3. The original trailer there for Alien 3. Boy, that's yeah, you'd go and see that movie, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I like that kind of sound effect they use of like metal bars hitting against each other. Mm. That industrial, I think that's right. called. Okay. Now, Sophie, you and I watched the so-called assembly cut, which is the longer version for our sins. And David, you saw the shorter version. You have also spoken to David Fincher and you asked him about this film. What did you ask him? Oh, I just, I, I had an opportunity to ask him um, right at the very end of an interview a kind of funny question about why all the convicts in the in Alien Three, which is set in a prison, are British British character actors, and uh, he gave a sort of a little wry smile and a wink, 
and didn't say any words. Right. As if, think... as if to say, you know why. Right. And he's... Because there's been so much discussion about this film, how horrible it was to make, how horrible the studio were to him. There's a massive... There's this wreckage and rage kind of documentary about the backstory in which people are continually saying the studio got him in and, and then were undermining him. But he doesn't speak about any of that. No. When the Blu-ray came out, he mm. was basically... You know, he's the only big dog who's not involved in any of it right. you know um he uh, he he wants nothing to do with it um but i think he ha- i've seen him when people ask him questions he will politely answer them really so. or just smile and wink yeah, um, yeah or in my case yeah all right well you've got a very winkable face so uh, as you say it's on a prison planet fury 161 a maximum security prison and ripley crashes there it turns out she's not alone She's not alone. So if you and I, as I say, we watched the longer version, you've got a series of bullet points as to why you hated it so much. Yeah, I was so mad. I like, I was so bored that I got angry. It's tonally off. There's that's, lots what, of, that's one. That's one. If you can yeah. count these down, that would okay. be like handy for, for people writing these one, out. One, tonally off. Yes. Two, lots of cheesy TV cuts. So at the big moment, you go elsewhere to clumsily prolong the drama. Three... Aliens not scary. They look like, I don't know, in the 90s there was a mania for making zines. It just looks like they were cut and pasted out of a magazine. Did you see the first time in Zito that they tried doing one of the aliens with, a, I think it was a Cocker Spaniel, that they put some alien makeup on the dog and, and had that run around for a bit? That would have been scarier. That, that's in the theatrical cut. Oh, really? That's, that's, so the dog is in the theatrical cut. You, so you see the dog explode. Brilliant. Oh, not literally. I, I still anyways, have sorry. more reasons why I hate it. Yep, cool. The deaths are low stakes, as there are no characters to speak of, mm. bar Ripley and Clements, played by the piercing-eyed Charles Dance. And the moments he were in it were like a little reservoir to a woman in the desert of two hours and 20 minutes of no content, and then they killed him off. Um, and my final fifth point is that the tension is non-existent. Right. And you but can apart re- from that, Sorry. Mrs. Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the funny thing is we invited people to comment and loads of people have got in touch. A lot of people with really positive things to say. Uh, Rich Cubitt actually prefers this one to Aliens, which I'm surprised about, but he says it it's closer to the horror atmosphere of the original movie, which I guess is a, a fair point. Pop-up Puppet Cinema says it's better than its rep and there are some truly beautiful shots in it. Rigger Studio, the, the assembly cut, is one of my favourites from the whole Alien franchise. Martin McHugh, ever so much better on all levels than the ridiculous guns blazing aliens. I guess it is It is a matter of taste. My take was, as you mentioned, there's no memorable characters. The entire cast, apart from Charles Dance, who meets an untimely end, and Ripley, is composed of vaguely identical, shaven-headed, sweary sex offenders who are in this max... And I don't really... I can't remember any of their character names. I have no idea what they want to do. Whereas in Aliens, it was all about Vasquez and Hicks and Hudson trying not to buy it on this rock. There was a clear motivation. You knew what the characters wanted to do, and that's what made you invest in their efforts for survival. With this lot, really, I I had no interest in particular in, in how any of them survived. And given that Ripley is the only one who you care about, and she is declared invulnerable the alien won't touch her that's made clear early on in the film that dramatic tension just disappears i'm why do you think people like it well yeah just to say uh please don't come for my blood lovers of alien 3 i respect your rights your own opinions and i concur with whoever said there are some beautiful images but i would say it's not enough to save the film david i mean you know i i can tell you why people quite like the film because 
I quite liked the film. All right, David. Um, <laughs> and you're a perfect Egypt, so that exactly. Yeah. So, but this this might um, feed into that um, image. Okay. Uh, but um, here's hoping. Um, the I do think it's quite nicely put together, and I mean, you know, David Fincher is like the ultimate Hollywood technician. He his his kind of thing. Is all about process. How how like showing processes, showing things happening, showing how people turn into other things and do other things. And I think it, he does it really well in this film, and, and and he does it really beautifully and very atmospherically. I think um, there's some real kind of funny '90s stuff there, where you know there's a there's a sequence where a man is kind of clearing out this tube, and in the background you've got a kind of fan with the light coming through the fan, and it's it's got that kind of uh, you know, steel mill, 90s steel mill aesthetic, right. which we all know and love. And uh, I think you do get a sense of this prison that you're in, and, mm. and the and the geography of it, where things are. What you know, where are the alien? That the aliens somewhere out there, and we're in here. I do think it pretty much dies with Charles Dance. I think I, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, my my abiding memory of this film it was a long time since I've seen it before this rewatch. But if someone said Alien Three to me my only image that would come into my head is like bald men running around a sewer. I mean, and like for, for ages, right. I mean like just shrieking and, and, the, and this, it's just running through a sewer. And I mean, that's, that's not great cinema. It could be if, you know, uh, if, if, if that's, if, if you're making a film about right. bald sewer running. It's just a shame because if the original concept, uh, William S. Gibson wrote a two film treatment for the continuation of, of the alien saga post aliens, which was going to feature Newton Hicks. So I think, I mean, one of my issues was like, I can't believe they killed them off for this. Here's Daniel Broccoli who says, it was an odd choice placing so many British actors in this instalment. It's quite distracting and out of touch with the rest of the series. I found it incredibly slow moving. There's no real discernible threat or character depth from the inhabitants of Fury 161. The only true moment of joy came with a very sweary line, which he quotes here. Uh, yeah, there you go. All right. Well, a little bit more backstory. If you haven't, if you have seen the film, you might find Wreckage and Rage, the kind of documentary about the troubled production, quite interesting. Not only is there that William Gibson thing in there, but there's also the fascinating idea from the original director, Vincent Ward, that it should all be set on a a religious colony of monks that were inhabiting a wooden satellite. It, it's a bizarre. It's a bizarre idea which sadly the studio felt wasn't exactly what they wanted. But they did kind of inherit that whole religious kind of heaven and hell thing uh, from that story and kind of stick it into David Fincher's version. It's quite interesting because I think, I, I don't, I can't remember the times exactly, but Vincent Ward went on to make one of the all-time stinkers around the same time and it has got that heaven and hell thing. Which one was that? It's a film called uh, What Dreams May Come with with, oh, with yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah. Um, where he's this, it's this kind of, bizarre hippie fantasy thing mm. with lots of kind of his wife commits special. suicide he has to journey into the yeah into the limbo. The abyss. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean what films com was the website that always stuck with me wow <laughs> that's a really interesting i mean i, mm. I are you, were you a fan no no okay no. maybe vincent ward had he done his wooden satellite planet film for mm. alien may still be with us today as a creative force. I think I would have preferred monks running around a sewer to prisoners running around a sewer. Okay, all right. You don't see that 
as often. What, monks running around? In that would have been in a fascinating ju- juxtaposition, this, you know, futuristic xenomorph with the kind of slightly medieval monk aspect. But, yeah, sadly, the studio's... Decided to go with another vision. You um, never know. We've got two more prequels to fill up. So, I mean, you know, there's there's monks still in waiting on, on the subs bench. That's true. I, I've actually seen all six of the Alien canon since we last spoke. And I bet you'd be fascinated to know where I'd put, in what order I'd put them in. Absolutely Rank. fascinated. Are you ready? Hit, okay. hit us. This, for me, is number six, as in the worst. Then I'd go Prometheus. Then, in fourth last place, I'd put Alien 4, Resurrection, which is actually terrifically... Have you seen it recently? Yeah, I rewatched that one. Yeah, yeah it's good fun, isn't it? It's, it's very inventive. It's maybe too inventive for its own good. That's when it turns into a kind of gore splatter flick, I yeah. think. You know, it's, 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 it's all about the kind of rubber and latex and... Oh, and no, there's lots of visual play going on there. The underwater sequence. There's a lot of really interesting ideas visually. I mean, it's Jean-Pierre Jeunet. And and what made me go back and watch it again was the fact that the screenplay is by Joss Whedon, who has pretty much decided... He set himself the task of quoting as much of the screenplay from Aliens as possible. Yes. Uh, so it, it's fun. If you're, a, if you're a fan of Aliens, there's, there's much to enjoy. But anyway, that gets fourth on my list. Then I would go Covenant. Then joint first Alien and Aliens. An Alien is still every bit as good. I would I would tip aliens above alien. Would you? Yeah, just by a, by a whisker. Okay. I kind of would too. If I had to watch one of them on an intercontinental flight, yeah. it'd be aliens. What's next on Film Club, David? In our very uh, hurried pre-game chat, we went through a couple of potential titles and the one we landed on was Bong Joon-ho's The Host, uh, which is a kind of Korean creature feature. Mm. It's kind of tying in with a new release coming out next week, which is the uh, Anne Hathaway Manic Depression Godzilla film Colossal. And the fact, I guess, that Bong Joon-ho has also got a new film coming out that's going to be at the Cannes Film Festival oh, yeah, called Cannes Film Festival. Right. So, anyway, so uh, The Host, that's next week's film club. So grab a copy of that, watch that, and we'll discuss that uh, next week. And, uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what you think. At Little White Lies... Or the email address, truth and movies on one word at TCO London or one word dot com. Super. So Charles Brookman writes in, he says, Hey, loving the new pod. Thanks ever so much, Charles. I've always had a soft spot for Aliens 3 for a couple of reasons. First being that it came out in my teen years, so it was therefore my alien movie. The other is that it always brings to mind a great hip hop LP from a fellow called Deck Wrecker, which sampled the dialogue. And just to finish off, this is what it sounds like. Debt wrecker, of course, with Secret Wars with a Z. Now, let's talk about that Cannes Film Festival. What happens when you go to Cannes? Do you just kind of all romp from one screening to another as a big pack of people in sunnies and with notebooks? That's such a beautiful image. There, There is, like, much more queuing than romping. Oh, it's standing around. Is it? There's a lot of standing around and waiting and watching and laughing as other people get angry because they're standing around. OK. If you had the choice, would you not go then? Oh, no, no. You I enjoy lo- it? I love it. Yeah, Hells yeah. no. The standing around, I guess, it does become a sort of tense 
precursor to seeing a big movie. What, so you're why like, are you standing around? Oh, because you just you have to queue to get into the films because oh, not everyone can get into all the films. Right, so, like, so there's a tension about when that. you've got a new film by say. Mr. Todd Haynes, right. of which there is one at this festival, right. you would, um, which is called Wonderstruck, you would do well to get in the queue damn early to make sure you've planted your flag and you're going to get in and you're going to see that movie. Right, well, that's fantastic. You two can presumably d- d- tag team the queues. People have described this Cannes Film Festival... I've never been, but they say this is going to be the most exciting one in literally years. There's new films from Todd Haynes, from Polanski. There's four films featuring Nicole Kidman, which is quite bizarre. Sofia Coppola, that's one of them with The Beguiled. Lynn Ramsey's got a new film out. Yorgos Lanthimos, who did Lobster's, got a new film. What else? Oh, Claire Denise of Beautravaille. Yeah. Or Travaille, rather. Yeah. Travaille. So d- what film are you most excited about? seeing On the Croisette this time? Well, um, I am very excited to see Sophia Coppola's The Beguiled. I just think she's just a genius. Um, And having seen the 1971 version of The Beguiled, which is a very overwrought, very sexy pot boiler, I'm very excited to see a feminine perspective of those heady themes. I think I'm probably... This is this is going to sound terrible. I'm most excited about the Claire Denis film, okay. but I don't. I can't remember what it's called because its, its called, name's changed. Oh right. Well, currently, last time I looked, it was called Un Boussole Intérieur. It's a new comedy, perhaps surprisingly, given her previous work, starring Juliette Binoche and Gerard Depardieu. Yeah, so that's a very exciting thing for me because, like, she's she's been working on a, a sci-fi movie mm-hmm. that's written by Zadie Smith. And it stars Robert Pattinson. No way. So that that's something that we. But we've that's got not this one. To, that's not this one. I think that one's a bigger production, taking long to do. I adore everything she does. Really? So it, it, there is a kind of the likelihood of me not liking this film mm. is just is is non-existent. How are you going to make sure you get tickets for it? I'm just going to queue. Gonna okay. Queue the hell up. I, I mean, this again is a subject for another podcast. But there's a very elaborate hierarchy based on badge colours at Cannes. Oh. So the queuing is not just queuing, it's like it's different pens that you queue in depending on the status what given to you. What colour badge will you have? Well, <laughs> we're campaigning to get an upgrade. Um, oh, don't tell people that because then when we don't get the upgrade, right. we're going to look colour, What colour are you at the moment? So I'm a lowly yellow. Which... All right, and David? I'm a lowly blue. Oh, and how many colours are there? Oh, God, there's like ten colours or seven colours or something. Like, OK, so, for example, I don't know, Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian. He gets you? the God badge, the he, white he, badge. Yeah, he's like ghost ghost pass. He wow. can just, he literally can, he has his own entrance, personal entrance. Brilliant. So no he can just walk into whatever he wants and get up and leave halfway. He can do anything. I, I understand he can walk up to the festival director and slap him <laughs> and say... I hate you, um, if, he wa- if he so wanted. Right, OK. And, and he would be immune. Is there anything lower than a yellow badge? Well, I mean, there's an orange badge, but I think it's just for photographers. So I'm pretty much the lowest. I think lower than yellow is basically you here with nothing. Not not being there, yeah. Right. That's my choice. Being, being like hundreds of miles away. Yeah. That's, that's... Well, I am going to be hundreds of miles away, and yet I'm going to feel connected to the Cornfield Festival because you're, you're going to be dialing in. We're going to speak to you on the phone. Yeah, we're going to next try, week. try and do that. All right. And hopefully you'll have seen. Will you actually have seen something by then? I think n- maybe not. We might have seen the opening film. Oh, okay. Which, What's is, that? A new, which is a new film called Ishmael's Ghosts by a, a French director called 
Arnaud Desplechin, who's again a very great director, and I loved his last film. And I'm what really was his excited. Last film? His, it was called Our Golden Days, but it never came out here for some reason. Oh, really? It was, but it was brilliant. Um, so yeah, and and that film has got Charlotte Gansborg in it and um, Marianne Cotillard as well. Oh. So some some big hefty. Uh, big hitter types in the film. Right, yeah, okay, well, that, that's great. Okay, well, that'll be coming up in the next edition of this show, in which we'll also be talking about Colossal and Film Club, which is the host. Do let us know any th- thoughts you have in the meantime at those usual addresses. Many thanks, Sophie, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Enjoy that trip to Cannes, and you too, David. Thank you, I will do. We'll miss your po-faced... Uh, idiocy. Idiocy. Yeah. Sophie, anything you want to add before you head off to camp? Yes. Um, so I saw yesterday I saw Minehorn, which you reviewed on last week's podcast. Did you like it? I, I liked it. I, I wasn't bored of it. But um, I did notice that it was dedicated to the memory of Julie Payne. And this week's film, Alien Covenant, was also dedicated to the memory of Julie Payne. So I looked up who she was and she's uh, Ridley Scott's long-term collaborator and the managing director of his company Scott Free Films is London office and they've worked together since the 80s and she died in 2016 age 64 of cancer so I thought it might be nice to continue that in memory of and say yeah in memory of Julie Payne. Nicely done Sophie all right well that's it for this edition of Truth and Movies we'll see you next week and remember this has been a seven digital production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.